Welcome back to the program. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, thank you and praise you for all the ways that you love us and take care of us. Thank you for the gift of the saints. And Lord, I pray that um, you would bless us today with a, a deeper sense of relationship with the saints, especially St. Joseph. Lord, I thank you for the gift of of his life as a model to us. Help us to explore his life and, and find inspiration and encouragement to live a holy life as well. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you listened to the program yesterday, I had a chance to sort of map out a bit of what I was discussing. I encourage you, if you uh, missed that program, to go to mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org. Not only can you get in touch with me, you can get in contact with me, uh, you can also get access to free resources, digital downloads, as well as an easy way to listen to previous broadcasts of Sound Insight. Um, right there on the page, you can sign up for the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It's the Dr. Tom Curran podcast. So lots of ways for you to be in touch with me. One of the things that has been absorbing a lot of my time these days, it's it's a new mission and ministry of mine, is helping people to move. Um, yes, that's right. I am a real estate professional. I serve folks in Washington and in Idaho. I'm a licensed real estate agent. And uh, more and more, I have... Um, shifted the professional expertises that I have used to serve business owners to now serve homeowners. And so if you are someone that's discerning a move from the west side, from the Puget Sound area, um, to uh, whether it's eastern Washington, the Spokane area, or northern Idaho, I would love to serve you. I do things a little bit differently because I've made the journey and I know what it's like to attempt to uproot your family and move here. There's so much involved, especially when it wasn't something that you desired or planned, but it was something that you felt a call to do. So if I can be a, a blessing to you and serve you as a real estate professional, I would love to do that. You can get in touch with me on mycatholicfaith.org. Just um, just click on Contact Dr. Tom, uh, uh, and you'll be able to, I, I'll get your message, and I will get back to you right away. I won't keep you delayed. And let's just say this, there are so many folks that are in that process of discernment that I've been walking with, along with Carrie for the last two and a half years, but now able to also help them on the real estate side of things in terms of negotiating and buying a home, selling a home, all of that sort of stuff. I love it. I, I love being able to help these folks. It's something I've done for 25 years for myself, and now to be able to serve others in this way as well is a beautiful thing. So it's actually quite relevant to St. Joseph, and we'll get more into that today when we talk about his flight into Egypt. But before we do that, we're going to dig into um, into other moments of his life before we get to the flight into Egypt. Yesterday in the program, I only had a chance to talk about uh, the first moment, that moment of the call of Joseph to be the husband of Mary and the foster father of Jesus, the Son of God. What an incredible mission. At the end of the program, in the last segment, I had my son John Mark on, and uh, wow, I was very moved by it. Some of the things that he had to say, I'll bring back up when we reach those different moments. He, he's been reading the book by Father Donald Calloway called Consecration to St. Joseph, and um, I can see it's really had an impact on him. In fact, um, there was a little bit of a, a bug going around in the current home um, that it wasn't quite the stomach flu, but it was something that knocked him down. It knocked him down um, this morning when he woke up. He was actually he, he, he was sick last night after he actually recorded with me. And, um, and so yesterday through the day, uh, he that's that's today. I'm recording this on Tuesday night. Sorry if you're getting confused here. Um, but throughout the day, he was resting, but he never did get really sick. And he attributes it to St. Joseph. He did what I proposed, go to Joseph, go to Joseph. And he went to Joseph and asked for his intercession, and he was able to be restful and not get really sick. So thanks be to God for that. And he attributes it to St. Joseph. Wow, what a beautiful, what a beautiful thing. Okay, so 
Today we're going to dig further into these 10 moments from the life of St. Joseph. I mentioned that first one, the call of St. Joseph, where he had to be open to the call. He made a decision to put himself and make himself available for the call, and then he, he made the decision to live it out. Okay, we're going to talk about the second. The second moment is he's said yes to live out this call, and it doesn't take long for him to discover that the Blessed Mother is pregnant. She's expecting. And he is in this, well, gee, awkward situation where his expectation was he was going to be this uh, pro- protector of the Blessed Mother, and, and now she's pregnant. And what's he going to do about that? And, and you know the story. He's going to legally separate from her, divorce her quietly in accord with the law. Um, but he then receives a message from God. And this is the moment that we're going to discuss. Now remember, Joseph never says a word in the scriptures, but this is one of the scenes where he makes um, the most significant um, appearance in terms of the details of what he actually does. It's, it's when the Lord communicates to him. And I have seven points I'm going to bring out about this communication from God to St. Joseph. And these are all relevant to our lives. The first is this, is that it's the Lord who takes the initiative It's the Lord who takes the initiative to speak to Joseph. Now, Joseph hears the news about the Blessed Mother's condition being pregnant, and he starts to take action. But it's the Lord who takes the initiative to communicate to him. And that's very important for us to remember that all prayer begins in heaven. All prayer begins in heaven. What does that mean, all prayer begins in heaven? We think of prayer when we turn our hearts and minds to God and we speak to God, as if it begins in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts. We then speak to God up in heaven. And and when you think about it like that, all of a sudden it's like, boy, that's kind of weird because it's almost as if God is like, oh, wow, are you talking to me now? Are you communicating? Oh, look at that. Look, guess who's here praying right now? No. No, 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 no. All authentic prayer begins with the gift of the Holy Spirit, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord takes the initiative to communicate to Joseph, and he will do the same for you. He will do the same for you. Do you find yourself in unexpected, surprising situations, <coughs> excuse me, situations <coughs> that are disturbing to you? Well, don't think that the Lord is somehow going to be radically separate or not paying attention to what's going on. He is communicating to you. Now, what's the expectation of how he communicates? Well, he communicates in surprising ways. He communicates in a surprising way to Joseph. Now, the surprising way, I would say, is probably the most extraordinary, is that he communicates through an angel. An angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and communicates the message to Joseph. Don't be afraid to take Mary into your home. It's by the Holy Spirit that she conceived. And here's the thing. God used an angel then to communicate to Joseph God will continue to do that today. God uses heavenly messengers to communicate to us. And if we ponder this a little bit more and we take that term angel and we put it in quotes, in other words, take it in its broader meaning, an angel, angelos, means messenger, God still uses messengers today to communicate to his people. And to be even more specific, you too will be used by God as an angel, as a messenger, as someone that is called to communicate a message that's not always easy to hear, but will help you understand what it is that's actually happening. And to hear that, to think about that, to ponder that, what is it that's going to help you become the best messenger of the Lord to others? Well, it often will come from you having received a message from the Lord. In other words, do you want to be fruitfully used by God to communicate to others? Well, you better be letting the Lord speak to you in prayer. You, unless you receive from the Lord a communication, how is it that you're going to be useful to the Lord to bring his message to others? So I want to encourage you. When you go to prayer, realize that it's the Lord that has prompted you, inspired you, moved you, or even given you the grace, the personality, to say, I need to be praying. 
Let me put this into the, my day. Let me structure this into my day. But put yourself into a position of listening, of being open, of being receptive, because the Lord will communicate to you. And his message and his messenger could be many different ways of how he's going to speak to you through the readings of the day, by reading the liturgy of the hours, by reading some uh, mental prayer, so some kind of spiritual reading, like a devotional for Lent. Like we had Sister Marian James Heidland on uh, earlier at the very beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday, and she has this Lenten journal called Restore, and a beautiful way for you to be able to receive a daily short message of inspiration to help you today. It could be by, well, for instance, reading something like Father Donald Calloway's book, The Consecration of St. Joseph. There are so many sources that the Lord will use to communicate to you. It might be looking out at a beautiful sunrise. You know, that there we go, it's in the morning. That's a beautiful time to give yourself over to prayer. Okay, that actually brings me to the third part. The third point, I mentioned there are seven points here. I'm, I'm talking about the dream of St. Joseph. Seven insights into the way that the Lord communicated to Joseph that we can learn from in our lives today. God takes the initiative. He communicates in surprising ways. He uses an angel, a messenger, to communicate to him. But he also communicates that the angel comes to him in a dream. How often does that happen? Right? Of course, you think immediately of the Old Testament Joseph, who was a dreamer who received messages from the Lord in dreams. And this is another Joseph who receives in dreams. Well, what is it about a dream that would be compatible, would be fitting as a source of communication? Well, think about it. When you're dreaming, what are you doing? Well, you're sleeping. Right, and and it's crazy because there are different kinds of people. Like Carrie, my wife, she remembers so many details about her dreams, has tremendous like feelings, uh, emotional uh, connections to her dreams. I can't remember. I just it's all. I, I don't have the. I don't have very vivid dreams that that at least I can remember. Carrie get, gets so many details. Well, it, you can see it's somewhat related to your personality. There are certain kinds of personalities that are going to be more open to receive communication in dreams. But there's another part, I think, that's maybe even more profound, and that it's this. When you're dreaming, you're sleeping, and when you're sleeping, you have less resistance. There's less resistance to the Lord when you're sleeping. Your guard is down. And honestly, think about it in this Lenten season, as we are engaged in prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, one of the things that shows up are those different walls of resistance, those different places where we are in rebellion, those places where we are just not that good about saying yes to the Lord. Well, when you're sleeping, you're more receptive. You're less able to keep up those walls. And so I love it that the Lord communicated not only in a very special way through an angel, but did so when he was sleeping. Because it then makes us stop and say, Lord, speak to me in a way that is suited for my personality. Some are going to receive much more easily from the Lord um, walking on a hike or being by the beach or up in a mountain or other beautiful landscapes. Others are going to be much better in a chapel, sitting quietly. Others might do much better um, singing praises to God. You know, it, so there's so many different personality types that you also bring to bear in how you pray. But whatever the situation, let's also think about what are we doing to recognize and take action about the resistance that lives in us? And in our tradition, one of the things that the church recommends is pray first thing in the morning. Pray first thing in the morning. Pray first thing in the morning and, and give a good period of time, a good chunk of time. Give an hour if you can to morning prayer. Now, some of you might be saying, that's, that's how do I possibly do that? I have to get up so early. Anyways, get up an hour earlier. Just get up at the same time, but put in an hour earlier and wake up then in order to pray. Well, I won't get enough sleep then. Well, then go to bed earlier. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I go to bed earlier, then I can't watch those TV shows. Whoop, whoops, whoops. 
Ouch. All of a sudden now we're face to face with priorities. What's first? What's most important? What do we give our attention to first of all? Very challenging. So today in Sun Insight, we are digging into the life of St. Joseph, scenes from the scriptures, and we're mining them, we're digging into them, exploring them for insights to our own spiritual life. We're on the second moment, the moment of the dream of Joseph, and I've shared now three of the uh, different insights, or really four, uh, of the seven insights around this particular moment. I'll complete this in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Karn. It is great to be with you today as I reflect on the gift of St. Joseph and your life by exploring his life as it manifests itself in the scriptures and from the things that we can learn about Joseph connected to the scriptures. Guess what we're going to discover? St. Joseph is utterly relevant to our lives of faith and can be a tremendous encouragement and model for us in living our life of faith. And hopefully by exploring these things, we'll get to know Joseph better and be inspired by him, but then also look to him as an intercessor. St. Joseph wants to build a better relationship with you. How amazing is that? You might be listening today just for that little nugget, that little word of truth that is meant for you. St. Joseph, he knows you. He is looking upon you in your life. He understands the challenges you face, and he is praying for you. Go to Joseph. So Pharaoh said to the Egyptians in the time of famine, go to Joseph and and the great saints and and in our tradition, our Catholic tradition, go to Joseph is the phrase, go ite a Joseph, go to Joseph with your needs. He is the universal patron. In other words, he's the patron of all people, patron of all members of the church. He is the patron of all workers. He is the patron of those who are seeking housing and selling their homes. He is the patron of the dying. Gee, these are all universal situations, things that are relevant to all of us. St. Joseph gets it in the big deal things, the big deal things of our lives. St. Joseph is there. He gets it. And we're exploring those things today. We're looking at the dream of St. Joseph when he discovers and finds out that the Blessed Mother is pregnant and the Lord communicates to him, takes the initiative, sends an angel while he's sleeping in a dream. And and in this surprising way of communicating, speaks to him in a way where he's just less resistant. In the dream, he is less resistant. But it was also in accord with his personality. Those are the first four points that I was making. Um, St. Joseph was more intuitive, imaginative, rather than concrete and sensate. Um, but the fifth is this. The fifth is to realize that when God communicates to you, it might not only be that he takes the initiative and he's surprising and he, he speaks to you in a way that you can understand and in a way that uh, you'll discover less resistance. He just might ask something of you today that he's never asked before. He just might ask something of you today that you've never been asked to live out before. Now, that's a pretty powerful thought, a pretty striking idea. And when you go to, um, when you go to uh, prayer, is there a sense that says, when I open myself to the Lord in this prayer time today, he just might ask from me a sacrifice, an act of self-giving, an act of pouring oneself out that is out of the ordinary, that maybe is even a bit overwhelming. And you may not understand it. You may not understand what the Lord is asking of you. Look at what the Lord asked of him. The Lord asked of him in this dream by an angel to believe that the Blessed Mother was pregnant through the Holy Spirit and that the child to be born is the Savior of the world. That's a lot to believe. That is an incredible lot to believe. It's not like he has lots of examples in the scriptures to lean on that he can say, oh, well, the Lord's doing that on a regular basis, and I guess I just happen to be the the latest in a long line of people who can say this. Not at all. This was a powerful example of a principle in our tradition, credo ut intelligam, credo ut intelligam, St. Augustine, credo ut intelligam, I believe so that I might understand. I believe so that 
I might understand. It's not, I understand it, and so I agree with it, I'll accept it as true, I'll accept it as a belief, and then I'll act on it. No, the understanding follows from the giving oneself over, the mind and heart giving oneself over to the belief. And it's in the act of giving oneself over that, in fact, he comes to the level of insight that he needs in order to be able to live out this call with understanding. Understanding follows the ascent. Understanding follows the giving over of oneself to the belief. That's so important in our life of faith. It's so important because there'll be many things that we either are asked to believe with our mind, so doctrines, or believe with our lives, uh, morals, the moral decisions that aren't always like naturally reasonable just from our own fallen human nature that we're going to naturally just say, well, of course, that makes great sense to me. That dying to myself and acts of self-sacrifice and generosity bring me to life and fulfillment. <laughs> this, this isn't just something that you immediately uh, come to all by yourself. But rather, this is something that only grows in us through our action, through the way that we take action. And so um, St. Joseph embodies that for us because he was asked to say yes regarding something that he had no idea that was ever going to be asked of him. Now, the content, let's dig into, and this will be the sixth point, the content of what um, is revealed to Joseph about Jesus. Well, it's literally his name. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is in Matthew chapter 1. And, uh, and, and the reason why it, you call his name Jesus, Jesus means God saves, Yahweh saves, Jesus, Yeshua, uh, God saves. And let's ponder that for a moment. The name, the name of Jesus, does the name of Jesus express his identity or does it express his purpose? Does the name of Jesus give us insight, give us a vision of who he is or does it help us understand what he is to be about, what his mission is? And you know where I'm going with this. The answer is yes. The name of Jesus gives us insight into the vision and mission of Jesus, into his identity and his purpose, who he is and what he is to be about. He is God and he is here to save. And that's so very beautiful because it was something that was revealed to Joseph. And it's something that we also need to be open to have revealed to us. We can understand it as correct. We can memorize it and learn it. But the truth that Jesus is God, he is the son of God, he is a divine person manifesting in a human nature while also remaining divine this reality of jesus is something we must encounter we are called upon to encounter we do encounter whenever we go to mass and receive holy communion we are receiving the one who is god and yet we also are receiving the one who saves we are receiving our savior and the call we have in our life of faith as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, is to come to encounter him as our God and our Savior. You hear people talk about accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord is that divine side, the one who's God, the one who's in charge, the one who's the boss, the one who's Lord of all and over all, is now the Lord of my life as well. And he is my Savior, my Redeemer, the one who sets me free. This is something that we are all called to come into contact with. Joseph, it was revealed to him that the baby to be born of Mary and entrusted to his care is God, the creator of all and the Savior of all. Whoa. 
But not only this, this is the seventh point now. When you come into contact with the revelation of who Jesus is, guess what you also discover? You discover who you are. You discover your identity and your purpose. You get a vision of who you are, and you get a sense of your God-given mission. And this is so fundamental. It's a beautiful truth that St. John Paul II brought out in his first encyclical, um, which is about Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of man. And in it, he says that Jesus not only reveals God to us, but he reveals us to ourselves. We come to know not only who God is, but who we are in the encounter with Jesus. And so it is critical for us to come into a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, an encounter that is intimate and personal, that is profound and life-giving, that we know that we're known, that it's Jesus, that we know him, and we know that he knows us, and not does he just know us, but he knows us through and through. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and he's going to reveal to us the truth about who we are that apart from him, we would never come to know. Did you hear that? Apart from the encounter with Jesus, we would not come to know. Think of Simon Peter, the head of the 12 apostles. He thought he was a fisherman. He thought he knew who he was as Simon, the fisherman. And yet, in the encounter with Jesus, in the boat, while he's in his place of work, he comes to realize that Jesus is God. And not only that, he's a sinful man. But Jesus then says, I will make you a fisher of men. I'm going to give you a new mission, a new purpose for your life. And I name you Peter Rock. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. You think you know who you are and what you're about? I tell you, you don't know who you are and what you're about until you met me. And then I will reveal who you are and what you're about. Now, that's a powerful truth that St. Joseph experienced in this dream, in this uh, communication that the Lord uh, willed to have happened to him uh, in, in the context of a dream communicated by an angel. So there's seven facets right there, seven facets of um, prayer, of communication with God that happened in the life of St. Joseph in his dream. And so uh, there's number two (laughs) of the 10 events in the life of Joseph that I am reflecting on. Um, And I can already tell I'm not going to get through all 10 today. Uh, I got through one yesterday. Well, I had a long introduction and I had my son John Mark on. So there's my uh, there's my excuse. Um, but I hope that this, this is an encouragement to you. I hope that this is, um, this is stuff that you're finding uh, valuable and uh, meaningful to you. Um, okay, let's go on to the third one. The third one is the, uh, the second joyful mystery. What's the second joyful mystery? It's the visitation. And the visitation um, is all about what? Um, something that happens out in the open. You have the Blessed Mother visiting uh, visiting Elizabeth, right? That's what the visitation is. There's, this is all about something that's very manifest. It's, it's about something that is very public. And yet the theme of the visitation is hiddenness. The theme of this joyful mystery of the visitation is actually hiddenness. And... Um, Uh, In what way? Well, I'm going to unfold it for you by taking a look at the characters that are part of the mystery of the visitation. Now, I've already mentioned two, right? Elizabeth and the Blessed Mother, but there are others. And if you took a look in art, the um, when you see the uh, depiction of the visitation, you'll Uh, sometimes just have a focus on those two characters, on the Blessed Mother and Elizabeth. But it's often the case that you'll have as well their husbands. And so Elizabeth's husband is Zechariah, and of course the Blessed Mother, her husband, is Joseph. And so you have two other characters that don't make any visible appearance in the scene that the Scripture um, 
uh, uh, recounts, but they're present even though they are hidden. Well, are, are, those, the, are those the only four characters in the visitation? No, think about it. There are two other persons, two other characters that are part of the visitation. Of course, we're referring to the Blessed Mother being pregnant, Jesus within her, and, of course, in the scene of the visitation, the other character is St. John the Baptist, who is present in the womb of, um, of Elizabeth. And so all of a sudden now, we have the visitation involving not just two visible characters who do all the speaking, but two other characters who actually are really at the source and center of the action of the visitation. When we come back, I'm going to dig into this theme of visitation in the midst of hiddenness on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. So, in our life of faith, we often can focus on things that are visible. Right? The sacraments, they're very visible, these seven sacraments. And yet these visible realities point to something that's invisible. Well, the same is true if you broaden the picture beyond the sacraments to take a look at the reality of creation. Well, creation, calling it that, implies a creator. Now, is the creator visible in his creation? Well, he's not visible as an object in the world, among many objects in the world. You don't like search around in outer space until you bump into God. So somehow God is beyond the world. The theological term is transcendence. God transcends the world. He is beyond the world. Now, to say he's beyond this world that he has created, beyond the universe, means that, again, if you want to reach God, who's transcendent, as, it relates, as he relates to the world, it means that you can't get into a rocket ship and uh, you know, uh, rock it off into outer space and then just keep going and going and going until you somehow, bloop, you pop out of the edge of the universe and there you encounter God. That is not how you transcend the universe. And uh, it's, it's not like you, if you only had a telescope powerful enough, then you'd be able to see beyond the edges of the universe and there you'll, you'll realize because you can finally see the fact that the whole world is in his hands, all the created universe in the hands of this infinite being who is God. Okay, so if the encounter with God is not something that will happen through a distant a distance of traveling in the visible universe, well, what we're talking about is an encounter with God who is invisible, who is unseen. And so we are talking about a God who is pure spirit, beyond the material. Well, in our tradition, there's a way to come into contact with God who is beyond the world, who is outside the world, and that is by making a journey inside. Ooh, wait a minute. A journey within. A journey where you go not out of yourself towards uh, other uh, physical realities, but you go within your heart. You go within your spirit. And, and that is a journey that is, guess what? Not visible. It's hidden. So to go beyond the world and to encounter the transcendent God is by walking a path that is imminent, going within oneself. And so the hidden presence of God. God is present in the world, but if you want to have that encounter with God, you've got to go within yourself in order to go beyond yourself. You go within your heart to go beyond your heart. You go within the core of your being to transcend your very being. And so if that's what um, we learn from our tradition as it relates to the idea that the hidden God must be sought in hiddenness, the hidden God, the God who isn't an object in the world, the way other things are in the world, that the hidden God 
must be sought in hiddenness. Jesus said, what? If you're going to go pray to your father who is in secret, then go in secret and pray to your father who sees what is secret. So there's a way that the call that we have in our life of faith is to step apart from the visible world that's around us. And we experience today, you don't have to live very long, and (laughs) come on now, most adults are hearing my voice. If I said to you, what's the most common answer you get when you talk to people that live in the world today? Hey, how are things going? Well, I am, fill in the blank, busy. Busy, busy, busy. I'm busy about many things that are happening in the world. And this reality of being busy about many things in the world is a way of distracting us and diverting us. It's a way of dispersing us, stretching us out, spreading us out, where all of a sudden we we have a weakened capacity to concentrate our focus, our energy, to be able to have that concentrated sense of being able to go within ourselves. And so this reality of seeking God in hiddenness is frankly quite a Lenten theme. In the, in the Lenten theme, we take a journey with the Lord out into the desert. What happens in the desert? Well, you're stripping down yourself from a lot of stuff in order to be able to focus more fully on the Lord. So prayer, fasting, and almsgiving have a, uh, one of the central points of focus is what? Stripping down. Stripping down things that make life complicated, that make life busy, that make life difficult to be able to concentrate, focus, and go within in order to go beyond. Well, this is where three beautiful spiritual disciplines show up. Very fitting for Lent, very fitting for this mystery of visitation in hiddenness. And those three are solitude, silence, and simplicity. Solitude, silence, and simplicity. Well, simplicity is what? Moving from a very complex, busy, schedule, way of life, environment in which we're living. The complexity of things makes it really difficult to focus. And so Lent is a bit about stripping down, like simplifying your lifestyle, simplifying the stuff that's around you. When I left the seminary and I was living in a men's household, we would do things like take all of the appliances like toaster, coffee maker, uh, things like that can opener. If you uh, if you had an electric can opener, you take those things and you take them a microwave oven. And we would take them off of the countertops and we would put them away into cupboards. And we did it for a reason. It made the environment more simple. There was just less stuff to look at. And then something like as silly as, well, only buy one kind of cereal. And let it be a plain cereal. Well, what are you doing? You're taking away choices. Well, if you don't have a lot of choices when you open up the cupboard and that's your choice for breakfast, well, then guess what? You've simplified your life. It's just one less choice you have to make. One little saving of focus, attention, and energy that you get to have. We would take down things off of the wall, take off pictures off the wall, simpler environment. We put up crucifixes or crosses and have maybe purple cloth where the curtains were. Again, simplifying things. And this is easy for a bunch of single guys, right? (laughs) But simplicity allows for a greater sense of focus. But then I also mentioned solitude. Solitude, again, is coming away from others. But it's not coming away from others in order to be by oneself. Doing that is very isolating. It's very lonely. And and solitude is not the same as isolation. Isolation is when you're alone by yourself, like on an island. You're all by yourself. That is not solitude. Solitude is being alone with God. Being alone with God. And and so the idea of being alone with God means I, I do have to come apart from the normal set of environments where I'm spending my time and energy. And if, I, if I'm able to do that, well, then I might just be more disposed, more ready, more capable, more receptive of the encounter with God. And so 
taking action that will pull me away from other people in order to be alone with God, not by myself, but be alone with God, is a very powerful spiritual discipline and a beautiful one for Lent. And the third is silence. Silence is, is not just about not making noise. Silence is about being present to the world that, are, that is around me because God will begin to become manifest. God will begin to show up. So silence, solitude, and simplicity all work together. They all work towards the coming out into the open of the God who is present but in a hidden fashion in the world around me, in the events of my day, and within my heart. Silence, solitude, and simplicity are all about the second joyful mystery, visitation. Visitation in the midst of hiddenness. So let's take a look at the event of the visitation, and what do we see? Well, we see the Blessed Mother showing up, and Elizabeth, when she hears the voice of greeting that the Blessed Mother makes, what, what happens? Well, there is a hidden presence that becomes manifest. She cries out because St. John the Baptist leapt within her womb. St. John the Baptist is present but hidden. And his hidden presence becomes stirred within Elizabeth to such an extent that she responds. And so you have there that beautiful, powerful example of St. John the Baptist was attentive in the womb to the presence of Jesus. Well, wait a minute, where's Jesus in the womb of the Blessed Mother? So we have again another instance of presence that is hidden, but hidden in a way that those who are attentive those who are alert just might have the encounter with the Lord. Back in a minute, more on this theme of hiddenness. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. I am reflecting on some of these themes in the life of St. Joseph, these events in the life of Joseph that give us beautiful points to think about regarding the life of faith, regarding how it is we live our lives of faith, precisely so that we'll be not just better Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus, but we'll be better friends with this hero of God, the second greatest saint, St. Joseph, the patron of the universal church, the patron of a happy death, the patron saint of selling homes, the patron saint of workers, all of these universal situations that we can relate to and we can lean on St. Joseph to intercede for us. So we're, we're talking about the visitation right now, and we're seeing how the, the idea of a visit involves hiddenness and hiddenness coming out into the open if we are available. Okay, so what about, what about Zechariah? Well, Zechariah is a very interesting character here because he is an example of someone who is fulfilling the religious obligation of solitude, silence, and simplicity in his priestly role, but shows that it's not enough to just go through the motions. It's not enough to simply say, I am fulfilling the obligations that are mine. What do I mean? Well, you remember that Zechariah was the one who heard that Elizabeth was pregnant. And where did he hear it from? He heard it from the Archangel Gabriel. And where did he hear it? He heard it in the temple. When was he in the temple? Well, he was there performing a priestly duty. He was offering the evening sacrifice. Uh, and uh, in him, in this act of this evening offering, was doing a priestly act that was chosen by lot. So it was like winning the lottery. And it was something that a priest would get to do, how often? Once in a lifetime. So this was a once in a lifetime action. And what was the meaning of this action? Or actually, what was the action? The action was, well, he would get to enter into the inner sanctuary of the temple, and there he would offer this evening oblation. And in doing that, there was a significance to it. It was an attempt to, wasn't an attempt, it was an expression of 
the priest's role as a mediator, a mediator between God and God's people. And the idea was that as a mediator, he was bringing the petitions, the, the heart's cries of God's people to God before the throne of God. The priest was the one who was bringing with his intercessory prayers the needs and the heart's cries of the people and presenting them to God. And that he, as this mediator, would then be the one who would, through his prayer, carry back from the Lord a a mediation, being a conduit of gifts and graces coming from God to the people. Their prayers have been heard. Their prayers have been answered. And he's the one who goes into the, the heart, the inner sanctuary of the temple, in order to have that encounter with God, to present those prayers with confidence, fulfilling his priestly role, and then coming back out and saying, uh, the Lord has heard our prayers. Let us rejoice. Well, what ends up happening is he's there. He's in the midst of the act that he gets to do once in his whole life, a high privilege, this incredible gift. Here he is. Uh, the one time he ever gets to do this, and he's doing this great action where he's saying, God has heard your prayers. I'm bringing all of these prayers before God. This is my job right now to have this expectant faith that God answers prayers. And what is it? what happens? An angel, an archangel, appears to him and says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard, which is like very fitting. It's like, yeah, that fits. It's in place. It, it's extraordinary, but isn't this the exact purpose of the, of the, uh, of the uh, priestly action itself is to present these needs? And therefore, what do you expect? That God is going to communicate to him, maybe even in an extraordinary way, God has heard your prayers. And when he gets this, this message, what does he say? Well, how am I supposed to know this? <laughs> Are you kidding? Zechariah, this is exactly why you're there. What do you mean, how am I supposed to know this? Well, what was the prayer that he had been praying? The prayer he'd been praying was, Lord, my wife is barren. My wife, we live these righteous lives, uh, and you know she's a, a daughter of Aaron, and, and I'm in the priestly line here, and we have not been uh, blessed with children. This is a source of shame for us. And, and now you're telling me your prayer has been answered. And, and the Greek tense of the verb is not, okay, the Lord has finally decided to answer your prayer. But it is rather, the Lord has heard your prayer way back when you first prayed it. Your prayer has been answered. Your prayer was answered when you first prayed it decades ago. And now, in this moment, you're seeing the fulfillment. Ooh, what was hidden is now coming out into the open. The fulfillment of your prayer request is now being made visible in God's time and in God's way. And so he who is in a place of solitude, he who is in a place of worship, he who is stripped down of other activities to focus on the simple task and silent reverence before God of offering the evening sacrifice, in the midst of all of this beautiful ritual uh, observance that's once in a life, he does not have the faith to believe what he's doing. And as a result, when he leaves the temple, how does he show up? He is mute. He is unable to speak. There's a message here, my brothers and sisters. There is a lesson here. If we do not have expectant faith, if we don't have a sense of uh, enthusiasm, and when I say enthusiasm, I mean a sense of a real uh, expectancy that God, the living God, is hearing and responding to our prayers. Then when we go out into 
settings that are more complex and busy, that are not so silent and simple, we are going to be silent. We won't be voices of expectant faith and proclaiming the goodness of God who hears and answers our prayers from the very moment that we've prayed them. And that's a sadness. So here you have the reality of Zechariah, who um, is in a sense of hiddenness, but his hiddenness didn't bear fruit because he's mute. He's unable to speak. And so today I encourage you to seek his face. Seek the face of God. Seek the face of God in hiddenness. Don't just rely on the visible ritual approaches and think that if you do the right rituals, even the once-in-a-lifetime kind of rituals that you have this priest doing, and I'm thinking of things like going to Mass, it's not magic. It's not magic. We are to bring our expectant faith to the Mass, to the ritual prayers, whether it's the rosary, or the Divine Mercy Chaplet, or the Liturgy of the Hours, or uh, Lexio Divina with the readings of the day, or some other ritual form of prayer, we must have expectant faith. Oh, we will be mute. We won't be speaking out. So Joseph gets it. Joseph gets it. And he will pray for you. Go to him. And ask him to pray to you that Jesus will come to visit you. And just remember, how did Elizabeth receive the gift of the visitation of Jesus? She received the gift of the visitation of Jesus because of Mary and Joseph. Mary, of course, because it was within Mary that Jesus dwelt. But also Joseph accompanied Uh, And I love this. When I think about praying the rosary or other prayers, I'm always asking very intentionally, very personally, imagining with a sense of vividness the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph there. Because there's a beautiful way in which when they're present, visitation happens. When they are active, visitation happens. When they are coming to you through the requests that you make to have them pray for you, visitation happens. Visitation, not just of the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, as, uh, as awesome as that is, but of the Lord himself. And he is the one whom they are there to present to you. All right, I'm up against the end of my program. I hope you found this to be a blessing. Tomorrow, I'm going to continue to dig into these moments in the life of Joseph and connect them to our lives. All right, God bless your day. Please pray for me as I pray for you. And join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.